morning. I think uh, Chad's got us on the right foot this morning. We're going we're gonna to be looking at God today, at his faithfulness, at what he does. Today we're going to restart our study in the book of Jonah. Re- I say restart because Philip's got us started, did a great job getting us started about four weeks ago. But for the past three weeks, we've been looking specifically at our mission statement. Three weeks, we've been looking at our mission statement. So what is our mission statement? Just the short, we have like two versions. What's the short one? Equipping world's good. We had the little echo. I was hoping everybody would rise up, and, but I didn't ask for that. So equipping world changers. And last week, when we ended our study... We gave you a mission. Does anybody remember the mission? Cookies. Now, I didn't do my mission because uh, my wife left, and she tends to be the cookie baker. She's gone for a week to Nebraska to visit her 82, 92-year-old grandmother. Here's some family history. So I didn't, haven't done my mission yet, but I plan to. Did anyone have an opportunity to go out and give cookies to someone in their world? Got a couple here, there. Okay, looks like we still have some work to do. Philip, I asked Philip to come up and share a little bit. Uh, the youth had an experience. They made some cookies and had a little uh, mission of their own. So I asked Philip to share with us a little bit about that. Yeah, on Wednesday we went out and did a, a local outreach. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we went, um, we had all the students bring a couple dozen cookies. We met at the church office. We took those cookies and put a you know, handful of them in separate bags, like little bags that we could hand out. Uh, and then we also had those prayer cards, the same cards that we handed out last week to you guys. Uh, and on the back of each of those cards, the students wrote just a few notes, personal notes on it. Um, and then we went, we took the church van, we went right over to this neighborhood, uh, just right next to us. Uh, we went out in pairs of two. And we went door to door and we handed out cookies and we handed those prayer cards and we just said of just a couple of words, just saying, hey, we're, you know, we're from Bridges. Uh, we, got, we baked you these cookies to kind of just say hi uh, to our neighbors. And then also we uh, told them that we would be praying for them over the next couple of weeks. Overall, it was really, really, really good. Uh, I think the students had a great experience. It was a great opportunity for them to go door to door like that. Uh, if anyone has ever had a door to door sales job, they realize that's kind of weird, <laughs> and it was a great opportunity for them to do that. Um, there were a couple of students who had a lot of success in terms of people just saying, it's really, you know, simple as it is, as simple as cookies are, it was exactly what they wanted or what they needed at that moment. Um, several people said they were looking for church or they're thinking about churches, and it just, it was just a great opportunity. Uh, a lot of other people uh, were just like, why are you bringing cookies to my door? There was, the, the best was we had uh, a lot of students uh, went and gave them cookies, and then, you know, the people responded saying, oh, do you want, like, a donation or something? Or, and uh, it's just kind of an awkward, uh, awkward moment there. But uh, in general, it was really good. It was a really good opportunity for us to be able to shed a small amount of light, even a very small amount of light, to that community. So it was a great experience. Thanks, Philip. Thanks for sharing. And that's our youth. They're out there, and they're changing the world in a, in a small way there, and, and could be in a, in a huge way. Just, just that, a simple encounter. Someone thinking, wow, there's, there's people that really care, are willing to knock on my door, willing to give me 
something simple like cookies. So our youth changing the world, that's awesome. We've been given a mission by God, and, and the prophet Jonah was also given a mission by God. Now, I don't mean to spoil the story for those that haven't read it, for those that haven't already studied it with our youth, for those that weren't here a couple weeks ago when, when Philip preached on it. I don't mean to spoil our story, but Jonah is not the best example of how to accomplish a mission. In fact, he may be the best example of how not to accomplish a mission. So, in your notes, my first question is, why study Jonah? Why study Jonah? What can we learn from this reluctant, rebellious, runaway prophet? And I'd like to answer that in two ways. First, we can often learn something positive from a negative example. The Old Testament, in fact, and the New Testament too, really, is full of negative examples that we can learn from. It begins with Adam and Eve in the garden. Abraham lying about his relationship to his wife. Oh, she's my sister. Jacob tricking his brother out of his birthright. Moses, murder of an Egyptian. And then later, when commanded to speak to the rock, he struck the rock. Didn't get to enter the promised land. The children of Israel's failure to enter the promised land that first time. Their lack of faith and trust in God. And their failure as a nation to do what God wanted them to do as a nation, to be that representative to the world. David and his failure with Bathsheba. Solomon and his failure with many Bathshebas, I would say. And the list goes on. It seems that God delights in teaching us through disobedience and failure. Maybe that's all he has to work with. But we can ask the question, why? And that brings us to the second, and really the most important reason, I believe, for studying the book of Jonah. It's part of our subtitle of our series, Man's Failure and God's Faithfulness. Because man's failure is always seen in light of God's faithfulness. Think about that first and the greatest human failure. It's so major, it affected humanity from this day forward. This morning we prayed for the events the tragic events that took place in Aurora, Colorado, effect of the fall. It so affected us. It had such a negative effect. It's not called a fall. It's the fall. At the fall, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Sin entered into the world, and relationship with God was broken. It's clear that they blew it. Now, we can certainly learn some things from their failure, like obey God and don't get into conversations with talking serpents. But more than that, more than learning these these simple lessons from this story about dealing with the enemy, the fall puts on display the character of God. In humanity's greatest failure, God showed and continues to show that he is faithful. At that moment, he dealt with their sin, with grace and mercy. They were were ashamed, and he provided them with a covering. And even before that moment, before the foundations of the world, Scripture teaches us, God set into motion events that would culminate in the sending of his Son, sending him to this earth to die for our sin. Jesus would conquer sin and death, sin and death that entered at the fall. 
And because of that, God's love, His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, His kindness, His faithfulness, and so much more would shine forth. God's glory, God's faithfulness would be revealed in the fall. So we study Jonah for two reasons. First, that we might learn what not to do from this runaway prophet. And second, that we might see and rejoice in who God is as he deals with the runaway prophet, as he deals with the city of Nineveh. That we might see his faithful character, that we might behold his glory. And when we behold his glory, that we might be transformed, that we might become more like him. Remember 2 Corinthians 3.18 from our study on the renewed life several weeks ago. It speaks to why we, why we learn about God at all. It speaks to why we study the scripture. It speaks to why we're studying Jonah. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Our faces were unveiled. The veil was removed because of Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross. So when we accept him, our veil is removed. In salvation, our veil is removed. There's no separation between us and God. So we can now behold his glory. And in beholding his glory, we are transformed. In the book of Jonah, we'll behold the glorious faithfulness of the Lord. And it's my prayer that as we see his glory, that that it'll work in our hearts, that it'll work in our minds and in our souls, and we'll be transformed to be more like Jesus, step by step, one degree of glory to another. So as we study Jonah, we'll learn from man's failure, and we'll learn and hopefully be transformed by beholding God's faithfulness. So if you have your Bibles and you haven't already, turn to Jonah chapter 1. I know we have the notes, and we have the screen, and all that, and maybe that discourages us from looking at our Bibles, but I think it's good, and I don't say this enough, that we have our own Bibles, too, and we can take down notes and underline things. So we begin in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Scholars are not totally sure where Tarshish was, but they are certain it was nowhere near Nineveh. Most believe it was off the coast of of Spain. I have a little map here. Can you guys see that? You see Joppa down there. Nineveh up there. Nineveh is actually more east than that, but the arrow points to it. And then Tarshish, the, down there in Spain, pretty far away. It's clear that Jonah was determined to go as far as possible from where God was sending him. Nineveh was northeast. Tarshish was west. So why did he do it? Why did he do it? That's our, our second point for today. Why would a prophet of God run and rebel against the Lord? As Philip pointed out a few weeks ago, these first three, in these first three verses, it, it doesn't say why he ran. It just says he, he ran. But we can imagine, can't we, some possible reasons 
why Jonah would run first. We could imagine that Jonah, maybe, maybe Jonah was just overwhelmed with the difficulty of the mission. Have you ever got a mission? Someone's asked you to do something, and oh my gosh, that's going to be so hard. I don't know if I can do that. And you're just overwhelmed with the difficulty of a given task, a given mission. God told Jonah that the city of Nineveh was a, a great city, and it was. It was so large that it took three days to cross. And it had a very large population. Some believe that it had 120,000 infants and small children. This is based on the final verse of the book of Jonah that says, there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. So apparently the, there are people there that hadn't learned which was right and left, and some say that that was the kids. We also know that Nineveh was the capital of the great Assyrian Empire. It had walls 100 feet high and so broad that three chariots could run abreast around them. How many of you guys have seen Ben-Hur? The greatest movie ever made, I'm just saying. Think of Ben-Hur, the chariot race, on top of the Great Wall of China. The Great Wall would have to be expanded a little bit. That's the walls of Nineveh. Within the walls were gardens and even fields for cattle. For one man to arrive alone with a message from an unknown God in such a city was crazy. Just crazy talk. Crazy to imagine. Totally difficult. What could one man do? Who would listen? The men of Nineveh would ridicule this strange Jewish prophet. This would not be an easy mission. Maybe going door to door with chocolate chip cookies isn't the easiest thing to do. But it's a little easier than what faced Jonah. He had a difficult mission. But not a word in the story indicates that it was the difficulties that Jonah was concerned about. It wasn't the difficulties that caused him to run. And perhaps it was the, the danger. Have you ever been given a, a dangerous mission? Go somewhere, there, there's actual, actual fear in your mission. Could danger have caused Jonah to run? God said this about Nineveh. Their evil has come up before me. We need to make no mistake about Nineveh. It was an evil, wicked place. Nahum was another prophet. Another one of God's prophets. His entire prophecy was against the wickedness of Nineveh. Read the little book of Nahum, in, in, and we'll probably be referring to that a time or two, because Nahum is, is, is a prophet sent to Nineveh as well. Listen to Nahum's description. In Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Woe to the blood, bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, No end to the prey, the crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, galloping horses and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end, they stumble over the bodies, and all for the countless whorings of the prostitutes, graceful and of deadly charms, who betray nations with their whorings and people with their charms. Sorry, this is... PG-13 Bible. Not a place you want to visit. Not a place you want to go. Most, most sources report that in the United States, Detroit, Michigan is the most dangerous city in the USA. Forbes reports that in 2010, there were 1,111 violent crimes reported for every 100,000 residents. So there's Detroit, our most dangerous city. And, and, and I think we all know what goes on in 
Las Vegas, even though we're not supposed to, what happens in Vegas. We all know what, what happens there besides gambling. So think of Nineveh as Detroit and Las Vegas together on steroids. What is one poor preacher to do in such a city? Would the Ninevites not just kill him and add his body to the heaps of corpses? Thoughts like these could have made Jonah afraid. They would have made me afraid. But again, not a word in the story indicates that it was danger that caused Jonah to run. So what was the reason? In the fourth chapter of the book, it doesn't say in the beginning, but, but we, get, we get the reason in the end. After God had already brought revival, sorry, if you don't know the end, God's going God's to bring revival. He's going to spare the Ninevites. Jonah explains the reason he ran. He says it was precisely because of this outcome. Precisely because Nineveh would repent. God would show his grace and mercy upon them. He knew that God was not just sending him to, to Nineveh to announce a coming judgment. He was sending him to Nineveh that they might repent. Jonah's own words in, in, in chapter 4, verse 2 are, O Lord, it is, not, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And it bummed me out. You see, Nineveh was full of the enemies of Jonah's people, the Jews. Nineveh was the heart of the Assyrian Empire. Throughout Israel's history, Assyria had brought nothing but war and death and destruction. And, and shortly after this, they would invade and and, and take control of the northern kingdom of Israel. And Jonah was afraid that if he went to them with this message of judgment, they would believe and repent, and God and his grace and mercy, his faithfulness, would bless them. Jonah did not want the Ninevites to be blessed. Oh, sure, God could bless Israel. God could bless Jonah. But Jonah would be damned, literally, before he would see God's blessing shed on their enemies. So he fled to Tarshish. You know, we might understand Jonah's reasons a little better if we put it in maybe uh, closer to home terms. Imagine the word of the Lord coming to a, a Jewish Christian, a Jewish convert to Christ, living in New York shortly after 9-11, telling him to go to Baghdad, Iraq, or Kabul, Afghanistan, and preach to Muslim extremists. And instead, he, he goes to San Francisco and he, he boards a ship headed to Hong Kong. Jonah ran from his mission because he didn't want to see his enemies blessed by God. So what about us? Why do we run from our mission? Do we run from our mission? Jonah was given the mission to go and to preach to Nineveh. And we've been given a similar mission a, not, a not, not any less demanding mission. Go make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. We've restated that here, and our mission statement is as equipping world changers. We want to equip people in the body of Christ that they might change the world by going and making disciples. Going to the places God has for them. And our world is full of difficulties. Our world is full of danger. 
It's full of evil and wicked people. Our world even has those we consider our enemies. But we, like Jonah, are still commissioned to go and preach, to go and tell, to go and be a witness, to go and be an ambassador for Christ, to go and be salt and light. And when we attempt to avoid our mission, we are no different than the prophet Jonah. So do we at Bridges run from our mission? You know, we pride ourselves on our missions program. We're coming up on our annual missions weekend. We as a church have sent and supported long-term missionaries to Taiwan, to Japan, to Thailand, to China, to Spain, to Malawi, to Indonesia, to Yugoslavia when it was a country, to Albania, to Italy, to Afghanistan. Did I forget any? Jamaica, Mon, (laughs) not to mention mention our short-term mission trips to Mexico, to Spain, to Jamaica, we like Jamaica, to Haiti, and most recently to Ethiopia, Not, not too bad, not too shabby. Seriously, I thank God for his faithfulness of using bridges to send and support people to the ends of the earth to the nations, to the peoples. But you know what? That's only half the story. It's a good half, but it's only half. What about those of us who aren't sent? Those of us who aren't missionaries? We are called to be world changers in Riverside, in Moreno Valley, in Rialto, in Corona, even in Colton. We're called... Sorry, that was probably bad. We're called to be world changers in the world in which we live. But like Jonah, we often run from our mission. We don't run to a different location. We run from the responsibility. And we blend into our location. We just become one of the guys, one of the people that live here. Nothing different about us. You know, most of us come into contact with the world in three places. Our neighborhoods, our work, our spare time sort of activities clubs and hobbies, sports, things like that. The people we meet in these places have great needs. They need Christ, first of all, if they're they're not believers. But they also need friendship and understanding. They need purpose. They need direction. In some cases, they have physical needs because of sickness, poverty. We're often unmoved. We're often unmoved by these needs. We remain what James Montgomery Boyce called strangely silent. Strange that we should be silent when there's such a wonderful story to tell. We have the only message that gives hope. We have the only answer to man's problems. We have the only answer to the fall, and it's Christ Do you find yourself being sometimes strangely silent? I know I do. There are times when I know I should speak up, when I should share the message of Christ with the people in my world, but, but I don't. I so often don't. A couple of weeks ago, Christine and I were having dinner with her cousin and, and family. They had come from Kansas. They were staying at the Disneyland Hotel there, and we went to visit We hadn't seen them in a long time. 
And before going, we'd even prayed for an opportunity to share. But when Christina, my wife, faithful wife, started bringing up some spiritual matters, I, I started getting a little nervous. You know, is this the time? Should we be doing this? We did share a little. We planted some seeds. But, but I went away feeling like, you know, I didn't really do what God had wanted me to do in that situation. There was more that could have been shared. We could have been, I could have been a better witness. Pray for me, I would ask. And I'll pray for you that as we study the book of Jonah, that we'll learn from Jonah's failure and from God's faithfulness. We'll learn to obey the commission that we've been given. As Jonah sought to disobey, that we would learn to obey. The commission to make disciples. The commission to be world changers, to be salt and light. The commission to be witnesses, messengers, ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Not silent ambassadors but ones who represent Christ well with both our actions and our words. Jonah ran from his mission because he didn't want the people of Nineveh to be blessed by God. He didn't want them to repent. He wanted the judgment of God to fall upon them. So why do we run? There are probably many reasons, and they probably vary from person to person. Fear would probably rank high on the list. Fear of failure, fear of ridicule, fear of losing relationship. But but ultimately, I I think we're a little more similar to Jonah than we care to admit. Fear is just a symptom. Fear is a symptom. The the inability for us to overcome that fear is a symptom because, frankly, we just don't want to do it. We've been given a mission, and oftentimes we don't want to do it. We're more concerned with our are with the perceived sacrifice that it'll take. It's going to take a lot. It's difficult. It's dangerous. Then we are with God's glory. Then we are with man's good. It's not that we don't want God to be glorified. No one's going to say that. It's not that we hate the people in our world, at least not most of them anyway. It's that we're indifferent to God's glory. We're indifferent to the needs of the people around us. For it's when God's people, that's us, engage in God's mission, that's go and tell. It's when that happens that God is glorified. When we truly seek a change in our world for Christ. When we truly seek to meet the needs of the people in our life. Their physical needs, but ultimately their spiritual needs. Their need for relationship with Jesus. That's when God's glorified. Specifically, when their need for reconciliation with God is met. Their deepest need. A relationship with their creator. What could be more basic than that? To know the one that made you. But we just don't care enough to tell him. I know I don't. Or I would be telling him. Jonah's hate kept him initially from going and preaching. Our indifference keeps us from going and and preaching, from being that salt and light we talked about. Now I want us to think about one final thing, just sort of to pile on here a little bit, and then at the end I'm going to give us some hope, just so so we're good. We've mentioned it, but, but, but not emphasized it. I think it needs to be emphasized. It's our third point. Who did Jonah run from? When we fail to obey God and engage in the mission that he calls us to, 
We're not running from a mission. We're running from a person. There's a connection. We got to get this. There's a connection between the mission God gives us and God himself. There's a connection between our mission and our relationship with God. Notice how Jonah's running is described. Verse 3 again of Jonah chapter 1. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Scripture doesn't say that Jonah ran from his mission. It doesn't say that he ran from Nineveh. It says he ran from the presence of the Lord. Now, in one sense, that's not possible. And Jonah should have known it. He probably did. He lived relatively late in Old Testament history, long after the Psalms had been written. David had lived and died. The Psalms were written. As a prophet, he would have known the Psalms. He would have known the great words in Psalm 139, verse 7 through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Rhetorical questions. Nowhere. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You can't really run from God, can you? So in one sense, it's impossible. Jonah wasn't fleeing from the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is everywhere. But in another sense, and I think this is the sense of the text when we disobey, when Jonah disobeyed, when we fail to engage in our mission, the mission that he's called us to, we are in fact running from his presence. Just like any sin breaks that relationship with God, so the sin of indifference to our world, indifference to God's glory, breaks that relationship with him. We cannot have fellowship with God while ignoring the mission that God has given us. It doesn't work that way. They're connected. We can go to church. We can sing songs. We can even raise our hands. We can have Bible studies. We can memorize verses. We can fast and pray. Imagine a small boy who's been told by his father to empty the trash. Something simple. But instead he just keeps doing other things. Some might even be good things. Cleaning his room. Chatting with his father. The father keeps telling him, Hey, I told you. Empty the trash. But he ignores his father. He ignores the mission that his father's given him. No matter what else the boy does, a relationship with the father is not going to be right until he does what he's been told. Until he does what the father's commanded. Let's be clear. If we're not engaging in the mission that God has given us, we're not living in obedience to him. And until we repent, that means turn, Turn in our thinking and turn in our actions. Turn in, repent in our words and our lives until we ask for forgiveness and begin to obey. We'll just be continually running from the presence of the Lord. Now that might seem a little tough. It might seem harsh. It might seem like that's a lot of pressure on us, isn't it? So let me end by, by taking the focus off of us because remember... God's faithful. This is, not, this is not taking away the responsibility. God gave the responsibility, not me. It's his mission. He's given it to us. I'm not trying to take us off the hook. 
but I am trying to give us some hope. A sure hope that's not based on our ability, that's not based on our desires, our efforts, our heart, because all of those will fail. Our hope must be built on, not on ourselves, but on the Lord. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, God is faithful even when we fail. God loves those who've, who, who've given their lives to Christ, and he does not give up on us. He will not give up on you. His grace and mercy will, will be given again and again. Scripture says it's new every morning. We will fail, but God will be faithful. His power and strength are available to us. We just need to ask. His sovereign purposes will be accomplished in and through us. The Apostle Paul gives us a verse of, of great hope in Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, he says, that he who has begun a work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. We often think that this verse only, only is talking about, we often use it as it applies to the end, to that very end, to that day of Christ Jesus. And so we sit around waiting for that day to come to, so we can get completed, thinking there's no hope that will change in the process. But that's not the case. That's not what the Scripture is saying. The phrase, bringing it to completion, implies there's a process that's taking place in our life, that we're being transformed as we see God, as we behold God, step by step, one glory to the next. God does not begin a work in us at or before salvation and then say, okay, pause, you're good for now, I'll complete it, when Christ returns. That's not how it works. He begins the work and he continues the work to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That will be when it is ultimately complete. Yes, but the work is going on. You see, God is so determined to complete his good work in you and I that he'll continue to do it no matter what it takes. In our obedience or disobedience, God is faithful. He will not give up. We're going to see this in Jonah's life. So see, God is so determined to complete his good work that he will continue to do whatever it takes. The only question is, what will the process of completing his good work in our lives look like? If we obey and engage in the mission he's given us, then there will be blessings and encouragement. There will be great joy in the Lord, I promise. In the parable of the talents... In the book of Matthew, Jesus said this to the faithful servant, to the, to the one that did what was right, to the one that engaged in the mission that Jesus gave, that, that the parable tells, Matthew twenty five twenty. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's joy. There's joy in engaging in the mission that God gives us. We've been studying the book of Acts in our home group lately. And one thing that I notice about these apostles in this, we're, we're up to chapter 5 now, so they've, they've preached a couple sermons, they've received some persecution, they've been in prison, they've, with the help of an angel, escaped, they've been beaten a little bit, all engaging in the mission given to them by Jesus to be those witnesses to preach the gospel, to make disciples. And you know what the reaction to all this is? Joy. 
They rejoiced that they were worthy to be beaten for Jesus Christ. There's joy even in the difficulties, even in the danger, even in the pain. God brings joy in the mission. But, but if you run, as Jonah did, then God in His great faithfulness to those He's calling you to and to you yourself will not give up. He will do what it takes to get your attention. You may not be swallowed by a huge fish, but you will be swallowed by despair. Someone who's a believer in Jesus Christ, who knows the mission that they've been given and are ignoring it, will find no peace, will find no rest, will find no joy. The joy of the Lord will not come. God will, if necessary, even break you into little pieces. If that's what it takes for you to stop running from his presence. Because realize, it's not just about the accomplishment of the mission. It's about you engaging in the mission he's given you. And you know what you need when you engage in the mission God gives you? You need him. You need his presence. There is no way we can accomplish this mission of, of changing. It's ridiculous. I mean, some people, you're equipping world Who the heck do you think you are saying you're going to change any part of any world? Well, we are nobody. But with the presence of the Lord, with Jesus, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can change our world. And we need him to accomplish our mission. If we're not engaged in a mission, you know what? We can pretty much get by. We're okay. We're not, we're not actively running from the presence of the Lord, but we don't need it. We're not noticing it. We're not spending time with him. He loves us enough to keep calling us back, to keep remember. Why am I experiencing this uh, dissatisfaction? It's because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not doing what God has called you to do. It's as simple as that. So I'd encourage you this week, as I'm encouraging myself here, to examine our hearts. Are you running from the Lord? You know, oftentimes when we think we're running from the Lord... That's, that's in terms of you're, you're backsliding or you're engaged in sin. You don't, and then that's true too. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're bumping it up a notch. Running from the Lord means you're not doing what he's told you to do. You're not engaging in the mission he's given you. If so, if you're running, if you're not engaging in that, in that mission, we have to repent. We have to turn in our thinking We have to turn in our actions. Call upon the power of his spirit. Invite him in. Because his presence isn't, you're running from his presence. So invite the Holy Spirit. Invite Jesus to come into your life and to give you that power that you need to stop running, to overcome your fear. That you might turn around and begin to embrace the mission that he's called us to. And I would encourage one final thing before we finish today. I would encourage you not to try to do this alone. Don't do this on your own. Now there's some parts you can do on your own. There's some repentance and some prayer and stuff. But as members of the body of Christ, we're called to be in in mission together. We're called to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to go and preach and share the gospel with one another. I imagine when Philip sent out the youth, he didn't send them off by themselves. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he didn't send them off one by one. He sent them off two by two. 
enjoying fellowship together and ministering together. That should be the picture of the body of Christ. And so I don't say this all to send you guys off into your own little worlds and accomplish your own little missions. I'm sure there, there are places where you're, where you're alone. I mean, John on his mail route, I'm not going to go on his mail route with him. Well, I could. Do you want me to, John? Can't. It's probably illegal. It's, there's probably laws against that. When I was a little kid, my uncle was a mailman. Uh, John is a, po- that's probably not the right word, is it, John? What is it now? Mail carrier. Thank you. And so my, my, my uncle was actually a mailman, because that's what it was back there. But he was a mail carrier. And uh, he used to come, and I used to ride in his truck with him on his route. But I'd have to hide when anybody could see us, because it wasn't, it wasn't allowed. So we can do that. But there are places where we, where we go that no, we can't bring the body of Christ with us. But we can bring their encouragement. We can bring their prayer. We can know that they're standing behind us. And then there are other places that we can, we can go together as ministers of the gospel. Join with other members of the body as we seek to engage in the mission God's given us. And if you're not sure how to do that, okay, well, this is my situation. I mean, each of us have different situations, different ways, different things God's calling us to, different worlds that we live in. If you're not sure how to do that in your world, and you, well, here's the first step. You need to engage with the body of Christ. You need to have some people around you that you can talk about that with, that you can pray for you in that. I, I can't answer that from here. I can't, well, Sue's a teacher. Georgia works in accounting office. Jill works in an office with her husband, which I feel sorry for. No, just kidding. We all have different things, but in, in our small groups, we can come around one another and encourage one another. We can, we can, Patty can tell about the vet place where she works and the people there and how she can minister to them, how she can partner with with Beth, who's also a believer there. And, you know, maybe there are things they can do in that workplace. But it's the body of Christ working together. If you're not sure about a small group, come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the elders. Well, we have some now, and in September we're going to be gearing up to, 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 to provide small group opportunities for every person so we, we can all come together and accomplish the mission that God has given us as the body of Christ. We don't have to be alone. Okay? That good, I'm done. So, would you pray with me? Father God, thank you. Thank you for Jonah and his uh, not-so-great example, but that you've given it to us that we might learn not, not so much about Jonah, but about you, about who you are, about your faithfulness, about your grace, about your love, about your mercy. That is amazing. That's new every morning. The grace and love and mercy that we've received, and now we're called to to give it out, to be messengers of yours in our world. Lord, help us with that. Help us uh, to not run from your presence, Father, but run into your arms, asking you to fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit, giving us friends and fellowship with other members of the body of Christ as we seek to make a difference in our world. Lord, bless that and and guide and lead us in, in the details of our life. We all have so many different little details, different places we work and people we see. Lord, but each of them uh, needs to know you. They need to receive from you and they need to give you glory, Father. And let's make it our task to, to, to be messengers of that. In Christ's name, amen. I bring us to a close this morning. My name's Tom. I'm an elder here at Bridges. 
and I want to help us respond to Cliff's word. I was really challenged myself by this, the, the verse this morning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and then it says, uh, but Jonah. The word of the Lord came, but Jonah. And I wonder um, for us, as i just reflecting for myself, um, what's the word the Lord's given to you lately? Some of us might be here today, and we don't feel like we've really been hearing from God. Because at the crux of the passage today, what I felt like the Lord was saying to me is, Tom, what's, what's the word that I've been speaking to you? What's the word I've been speaking to you about uh, your relationships, about your relationship with your sons, uh, with uh, people in your neighborhood, people that I work with? I felt like in a sober moment, the Lord was saying, Tom, what are you doing with the word I've given to you? And I wonder if some of us today, part of our challenge is we just don't feel like We've been hearing from God. We don't feel like we're hearing a word from the Lord. And our reflex um, is dull because we haven't been placing ourselves in places where the, the Lord's speaking to us. I feel like the Lord spoke to us through Cliff. And maybe one of the responses today that some of us have to make is, Lord, I want to hear more from you. I want more of your word in my life. I'm hardly even dealing with disobedience because I don't even know what your word is for me. For some of us, I think the response isn't just, Lord, give me more of your word. For some of us, um, the response is, Lord, I hear your word, and I'm, I'm holding back. Cliff said there's a couple responses that kept Jonah holding back, and I'm wondering if these apply to any of us. And I just, as we close this morning, want to re-raise uh, these barriers that keep us from taking the word and acting on it. And when we hear the word, the scripture tells us if we don't act on the word, what happens is our heart grows dull. Our heart grows indifferent. And so the Lord gives us an opportunity when we hear the word to respond. It's actually, um, it's actually a dangerous thing to hear the word and not respond. It's dangerous for us to come to church And to be indifferent. Because it's not just a neutral thing. Our heart actually grows indifferent and cold and callous to the Lord's word. So this morning as we close, is fear holding you back from being a person who responds to God's word and tells his story in the world? Today for some of us it might be that the sacrifice feels too hard. It feels like what it takes for us to act or speak as a person who tells God's story, is too hard. For some of us here, it's simply indifference. And I think that's probably what resonates the most for me. Indifference to the Lord's word doesn't feel like good news. And the Lord's invitation to me is to really engage his word and engage the way in which it's good news for me and then indifference to people around me. I'm anesthetized to pain. I'm anesthetized to needs of others around me. I'm inundated as you are with Lots and lots of information and news, and my heart just grows dull, and I become indifferent. So where are you today? Is it fear? Is it that the sacrifice is too big to be a person who tells God's story, or is it indifference? Or is it that today you're here and you just say, I need to hear a word from the Lord? Bow your heads, and I want to pray that the Lord would help you respond to the word. Lord, thank you for your word from Jonah. And we need a word from you, Lord, that 
we can take home with us, that we can take away. I pray for friends and brothers and sisters here who yearn for more of a word for you. Lord, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for the preached word today. Would you give us more of yourself? And for my friends that need a word from you, a unique word today that would empower them, that would fill them, I pray, God, that you bring that word. And for those of us, Lord, for whom fear or sacrifice that feels too big or indifference is what keeps us from responding to you, Lord, would you come? Would you give us hope as Cliff has preached? Would you show us the places where uh, we need to step through those barriers and courage and confidence, Lord, break through into our lives. Uh, make us men and women who engage uh, the world, who know joy as we step forth in faith telling your story. So lead us from here, God. Um, and we ask for you to lead us forth in the Holy Spirit, that we could walk forth as men and women who do indeed tell your story. And I'll close with this benediction from... The book of Jude, this might bring us encouragement as we leave today. Now to him who's able to keep you from failing and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.